Good morning. So grab your Bibles. You grab the ones in the pews. I warn you, they don't match up to the translation, but uh, if that's all you got, go ahead and grab that. You can use your phone or Bible you brought, whatever you got, but grab it and open up to Acts chapter 16. Uh, and as you're doing that, if you, if you missed it last week, or if you're just like me and you forget things real quickly, uh, let me just remind us that last week we saw Paul and Silas um, add Timothy and Luke, who's the author of this, into this traveling group. Uh, and they also respond to this vision from God about a, a man from Macedonia asking them to come and preach the gospel there. And, and they respond and they go there and they do preach the word of God to everyone who will listen. Um, and, and one of the people who, who do listen and is Lydia. And we really dig Lydia in this town because she sells purple clothing. Um, that goes well here. And, and God gave her faith to believe in the gospel. And so now you've got this, this whole group that are staying in, in Lydia's house uh, in the city of Philippi. And that's where our, our text is going to pick, pick up today. And so uh, we're going to cover this in three sections today from Acts chapter 16. And we're going to start in verse 16. Okay, so let's, uh, let's read that and then we'll, we'll pray and, and jump right into it. <clears throat> verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul, uh, she followed, she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to, to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged him into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Oh God, we might fool each other, but we never fool you. And so at least you know many of us have arrived here today weary, tired, exhausted, uh, exhausted from the stress of job and home and school and relationships and children of all ages and aging parents and health concerns and frustrated plans of all sorts. And so we come today for rest and for nourishment, which certainly means we need to see Jesus. And so we ask that uh, you would remind us today, because um, Lord, we need to be reminded that there is no depth of despair that Jesus cannot lift us out of. And so, God, I ask in the name of the, the only Savior, Jesus Christ, that you would enlighten our minds to understand these 25 verses in your holy word. Amen. Okay, so they are headed back to this place of prayer. It's the same place they previously had met Lydia. Uh, and just to get this in perspective, it's a little over a mile walk uh, outside the city wall. And so you're talking about a, a long distance, you know, if you were to walk on down to City Park, something along that range. 
Uh, and on the way there, they meet this, uh, this girl who is said to have a, a spirit of divination. Uh, and that's literally translated from this phrase that, that means python spirits, okay? So that's what it says. It, and it says python spirit because there's this legend in the region that a, a mythical female snake-like creature guarded the temple of Apollo at Delphi. Um, and, and they're making this reference to that. So that's why they're calling her that. But at this point in history, it's, it's just a phrase that means anyone with a, a demon possession or, or what we might think of as like psychic abilities. Uh, and the people in this town think of her, see, see what's happening with her, and they think she can predict their futures. And so that's how the masters uh, or these men are using her to gain money, uh, just to, to fortune tell. And so the incredible sad thing as you look at this is that this poor girl was facing these, these two different forms of, of bondage in her life. Uh, she was enslaved to a demon, and, and she was enslaved to these evil men who were exploiting her for profit. Uh, and so in case you're wondering, I think right off the bat is, yes, this is actual demon possession. Uh, Jesus himself encountered many demon-possessed people, and he confirms each time that this is real. It's not just some confusion. Um, and so that's what we're dealing with here. So now, this girl does a really odd thing. She's, she's following Paul and, and Silas around, and she's saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Well, is what she's saying true? Are they servants of the Most High God? Are they coming to proclaim to them the way of salvation? Yes, it is true. And so you'd kind of think this is a good thing, you know, I don't have to cold call. She kind of announces things and we just get to then carry on. Uh, but what we see in verse 18 is that <clears throat> this wasn't just once or maybe a few times or every so often. It was constant and over many days. And, and so what, what then finally motivates Paul to respond to this, this poor demon-possessed woman is, is really one of the strangest statements in the book of Acts. And that's saying something. Uh, he says, or it says, Paul becomes greatly annoyed. Um, and, and so if you're, if you're unsure about why this would be so annoying, just, just think about it. You know, tomorrow, wake up, pick a friend, and follow them around, and just announce everything when they go, when they walk into every single room. Uh, and then don't stop. Keep doing it day after day after day. You know, something like, you know, these two guys are lonely, and they want a girl to talk to them. And, and then do it every place they, they go, over and over and over again. You know? Does the fact that it's true make it any less annoying? Um, or maybe even if it was like a, a better motivating announcement, you know, as you come in, you know, uh, these two women are disciples of Christ and they would love to tell you about their Savior. You know, who wouldn't want that said about them? But it might get really annoying when all you want to do is buy a cup of coffee at Redina's. Um, sorry. You know, it's kind of that, uh, like the Verizon commercial almost um, years ago. So anyway, Paul is annoyed and, and that's, uh, and, and that's actually this feeling, this, this, this sense, uh, in a sense, is a catalyst for this amazing providential work that God's going to do in this story. And so annoyance actually is one of the things that God is using in this. And it's not unlike God. He did it all throughout history where these bizarre things actually become part of the story of what he's working in pro providentially. Uh, in verse 18, Paul is, uh, having been annoyed, then responds to this demon, you know, simple. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it works. It, it works because the name of Jesus has power. Uh, power even over demonic spirits, and particularly when it's being used by Paul, who was an apostle appointed by Jesus to that position. 
And so now the, the thing that you and I, we, we see this story and I think we struggle with here is, why doesn't Paul just have compassion on this poor girl? Why didn't he just set her free from the start? And I, and I, I think it's difficult for us to, to make sense out of that. You know, why does it require you to be annoyed before you do anything to help this poor girl? And to be honest, there's no answer in the text. Um, the only answers we could, we could come up with are absolute speculation, and, and I don't want to do that. Um, but what we do know is that God does set her free, and it costs Paul to have been the instrument that, that God uses to accomplish this. Um, in fact, you, you see some interesting wording there in verses 18 and 19. If you, if you see this, you, it gets lost in the English, not the meaning of the text, but just the beautiful wording of this text in the sense that uh, the same Greek word for the phrase came out in verse 18 uh, is rendered gone in verse 19. So if you're seeing it in front of you, you can see this, that uh, if you just use the same word for both of them, what you actually see here is that, uh, <clears throat> that when the demon was gone from her body, the hope of profit was gone from her masters. And perhaps this explains why Paul doesn't do something quicker. He understood that people get very angry when, when you remove their means of making an income, no matter how terrible that means of an income is. These men certainly uh, did not approve of this wonderful story of freedom, right? They're not like, yes, you have freed this slave girl. Um, and, and today we actually have many evil businesses in the world that would not see it as good if you could put a stop to them. Uh, for instance, uh, pornography production and distribution, uh, sex workers, both willing and unwilling, or abortion clinics, you know, uh, and those are just three incredibly obvious examples here. Because when a culture loves evil, it will mourn rather than celebrate the destruction of evil. And Paul and, and Silas then, after this, they're dragged into the city leaders uh, who, who understand them to be Jews. They don't understand this Jewish-Christian distinction yet. Um, and did you notice that the men, actually, what they accuse them of, you know? Uh, they, don't, they don't go in there and say, hey, these guys have cast out the demon from the girl we've been keeping as a slave and making money from. They don't even mention that. No, they, they instead say, Paul and Silas are disturbing our city and encouraging people to follow an illegal religion. I mean, can you imagine a world where your Christian faith is seen as a disturbance to society. I guess increasingly we, we kind of can, right? Um, so anyway, this, this crowd joins in on the attacking of them, and the people are afraid. They don't want to see any change happen either. And, and the magistrates order that Paul and Silas' outer clothing be removed, and they get beat, beaten with rods and then thrown into jail. Um, and I like to think, you know, they're sitting in jail, and Silas turns to Paul and said, you you just had to cast out that demon, didn't you? Um, you know, just that moment as they sit down. Uh, but once again, Paul here is experiencing the very thing that he was teaching to the church on their first missionary journey as they're traveling along. Or along. You might remember back in Acts 14.22, he says, Through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. And now he's experiencing that. Uh, the jailer then is ordered to keep them safely, I assume safely means locked away, not to like protect them after they've just beaten them. Um, and so they are. They're way back in the prison. And he even makes that distinction. They are not like on the fringe. They are way back there, and their ankles are put in the stocks uh, so that they are locked in there and cannot go anywhere. Uh, so let's keep reading verse 25. Let's see where this goes. Um, <clears throat> Acts 16, verse 25. Uh, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, 
so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and, and he was baptized at once, and he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house, and he set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So they're in prison, and they sing hymns, and the other prisoners are listening. That sounds fake, doesn't it? Like that's what you do as soon as you get locked up? I mean, who really sits in jail and sings hymns? Um, A a few of you know this story already, but when I was in college, I actually spent a night in jail. Um, I was working at a summer camp near Austin, Texas, and I got a ticket, which um, around that time I'd gotten a few tickets, and I thought I'd taken care of them all, but one of them had somehow slipped through, and unknown to me, a ticket that you don't pay actually turned into a warrant for your arrest. Um, and, and so I was driving home back in the Houston area one night, and, or one day, and uh, heading to my parents' house, which you have to drive past Laura's house to actually get to my parents' house, uh, and, and as I was going, <clears throat> um, in what were absolutely impossible odds, the police officer pulled me over in front of Laura's house. Um, not like two doors down, in front of her mailbox is where I actually end up stopping. Uh, and we hadn't been dating that long. I, I didn't know her dad real well, but he happened to be in the front yard uh, <laughs> doing yard work at that moment. It just seemed impossible. How could this be? Uh, I still want to impress you. This won't do it. Uh, and so now he is standing in the front yard watching his girlfriend's boyfriend get arrested. Uh, with no idea for why. And it was just incredibly embarrassing. But uh, they cuffed me. They sent me to this downtown Houston jail. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. I will never go back to jail. I'll get shot now. And and so after this mandatory shower, they just tossed you this orange shirt and these orange pants. And the pants were so big, I had to hold them up the entire night. And the shirt was so small, I could barely put it on. Um, They didn't care how big I was. And so uh, anyway, I'm in this holding cell from one cell to the next the entire night. And at no point, at no point at all, did I ever think I'll sing hymns. Never crossed my mind. No one else in there sang hymns. They told stories of their innocence, but no one sang hymns. I've never been locked away with so many innocent people. But it's, you know, it's probably worth noting here that I was in there for breaking the law. You know, whether I knew it or not, I did break the law. And they're in here for simply preaching Jesus, right? Uh, so maybe if my reason for being in there was that, it, it might be a little more in my mind. But, uh, and, and so what we're seeing here is that this Paul and Silas were witnesses to the goodness of God every place they went, even in prison. Uh, you know, Paul could have been down on himself in this moment. He could have just been doing that thing we do where we start questioning everything we do, you know, you know, maybe I shouldn't have cast that demon out, or we should have done it later when, you know, when everyone's asleep or something. Uh, you know, that, you know, just annoyance at yourself. Why couldn't I control my own annoyance? You know, talking to Silas, Silas, I'm sorry we're in jail, you know, just reflecting back on this. Maybe you should have gone with Barnabas. 
you know, that kind of thing. And instead, what they're doing is, is they're praising God. They're finding the goodness in God even in this moment. And, and do you really understand just what they're facing in this moment? The, the threat to their ministry, the threat to their actual life in general, and, and yet they're praising God. I mean, why do I get the feeling that, that most of us would be asking the question, why God? Why? We're doing what you asked us to do. We're trying to fulfill the Great Commission. We're away from our family. We're just setting that poor girl free. And yet, you have allowed us to be thrown in the jail. Why, God? See, when we face suffering, we kind of want to list our spiritual resume, right? Uh, God, I I go to church. I speak about you to others. I I read your word. I serve in the nursery. And I don't even like kids. Uh, Why am I facing this struggle? But they don't do that. They're just praising God for his goodness. Uh, and they're singing. And did you notice that, that as they're singing their, these hymns, they're singing them to God? It's not some, like, ministry tip, you know, let's sing hymns and this will be a way to reach them. It's just because they want to praise God. Um, and they're also singing from memory. You know, I, I had this question, could we as a as congregation, could we sing songs to God from memory? And, and to be honest, I think we could. I think most of us would do a good job because we're, we're hearing this music. It's in our life and other places. And, and so I think we could. And that's a wonderful thing. And, you know, one more thing about the singing here, though, is that for many Christians today, I, I think um, the joyful Christian brother or sister can drive us nuts. Um, you kind of see it and you think, you know, it's so fake. It's so showy. I wish they'd stop that. And, and, and I want to warn us against that, because uh, it might be fake at times. You might absolutely be right, but, but don't become that person that is so disillusioned that you can't find joy when you see another person's joy in the Lord. Uh, Laura and I, we knew this guy in Dallas. His name was Drew. There's no way he'll ever listen to this. Um, but he was always so happy. And to be honest, he, he drove me nuts. Um, because he'd say with this, this huge smile, you know, it's a glorious day, you know, isn't it a glorious day? The Lord is so good, and, uh, you know, and he'd talk about his wife in this poetic language that no one really uses, you know, oh, the love of my life, and thy beautiful bride, and all this other mushy stuff, and, and I would just sit there as a silent curmudgeon thinking to myself, quiet, you weirdo, today is just like every other day, and, and it would just drive me nuts, and, and here's the thing, though, is the more I knew this guy, the more I realized he was absolutely legit. Cheesy, yes, but absolutely legit. This, his joy in the Lord was absolutely real. And, and so I'm not suggesting that you or, or that we need to have that personality, um, you know, that outgoing, always singing, happy in public kind of personality, because God might not have made you that way, but to the degree that he has, by all means, don't, don't suppress that. And, and the rest of you learn to enjoy those people, not not be a curmudgeon, right? Uh, you know, shed your curmudgeon sin, shin, skin. <laughs> so, uh, and if you want to sing the joy, uh, sing to God and speak of his goodness and his good gifts, I mean, do it. Do it so God can hear it. And maybe others will hear it too. Uh, so anyway, they're singing and this earthquake happens and it shakes the doors open. And presumably that means everyone can go free if they want to, right? And so much so that the, the jailer's thinking there, he's thinking, I have one job and he believes that he has failed at this job. And he knew the consequence of this was going to be his own death. And so uh, he's just at the end of his rope and he decides to take his own life with a sword. And he's about to do that. And Paul can see this, you know, um, you see this, you know, suicide, that's what people do when they do not 
see a way out, when they don't have any hope. It was true then, and it's absolutely true today, which is saying something as a society as we see our suicide rates actually go up. Uh, That's why the gospel is such a huge aspect of even just suicide prevention, and that's not what it's designed for, but it works that way, and I mean that seriously because it gives hope even when the situations that we find ourselves in offer no hope. In verse 28, Paul does something really unexpected. Um, If the guard kills himself, you know, they can just walk right out the door, no problem. Uh, In fact, it'd be easy. We can kind of imagine ourselves like, oh, this is God's deliverance. Isn't he wonderful? Uh, We didn't even have to kill him. He killed himself. Uh, And and yet Paul shouts this statement of temporal, you know, temporal hope. He says, don't kill yourself. No one's escaped. Listen, the situation is not as bad as you think it is. And there's two things we need to see in this moment or take note of here. First, Paul had this eternal view of things. Um, which we also need to be developing. It's, it's not natural, but when he, had the, uh, when he had freedom in his sight, he also saw that this guard who was about to kill himself did not know Christ. And he understands that, that means that the wrath of God would be on that man forever. And so he stopped him from suicide instead of just, just looking out for his own needs, right? So Christians, we must be learning to look at the eternal significance in any given moment, to be looking for that. The second thing to take note of here is that, uh, you know, we are all about the gospel. We really are. Paul is too. There is nothing more significant than the gospel. But there are times when we need to actually meet the temporal, immediate needs of people. Help them see that their life is not ruined, no matter how bad they think they have messed up. Paul could have just, you know, shouted, Jesus saves, right? And probably wouldn't have done much right then, right? Uh, or, or something like that, something that's even true, but that's not what the man needed to hear in the moment. Then the, the jailer then, you know, puts down this sword as a result of hearing this. As he hears, no one's escaped. And he goes to Paul and Silas, and he falls down trembling with fear. And as he leads them out, he, he, he begins to ask him this, right, this, this big question. Well, you can imagine at this moment just the emotional distress this guy's in. He's, he's been under. He was just about to take his own life. And so now, in in desperation, he is asking them in verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a strange thing for him to ask. You know, the jailer certainly asked them the question because he believed they could answer it. There's something to be be said of their their obvious joy in Christ, their singing, that even in this terrible situation, Um, that these are the people that the jailer decides to go and ask this question to. Um, Do you ever wonder, you know, if if someone in your your circle of friends hit rock bottom and God stirred their heart to just desire to know more about God, would they ask you? Uh, Paul and Silas were asked because they they clearly know the Lord. Uh, And we see it in the way that they praise and speak of the Lord. So now the jailer at this moment is in this, this position of submission. I don't know if you catch on to this. Not, not so much to Paul, but, but, but to God as he's asking them this question, you know, what must I do? He's prepared to do whatever it is they, they tell him he's to do. I think more often today we hear quite the opposite in this situation. You know, God, if, if you want me to believe, here's what you've got to do to prove yourself. Um, James 4, 7 tells us, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And, and this 
jailer who's in a humble position, not just physically, but emotionally and, and such, uh, he's in this posture of submission, and they, and they give the answer. And the answer they give is this, believe in the Lord Jesus, and, and you will be saved, you and your household. That's a short answer, right? And while the wording of that answer is, is um, the answer to this basic question is very different throughout Scripture, the, the heart of the answer is always the same. For example, in, in Mark 1.15, uh, Jesus is, is speaking there, and he says, repent and believe. In Matthew 3.2 and earlier in Acts, Acts 2.38, we saw the answer was simply to repent. And in the most well-known of all Scripture, the one that shows up in wrestling rinks, you know, John 3.16, the answer is simply believe in Jesus, and that's what we're seeing here. In each instance, though, the answer is about faith. It's about, um, it, you know, it requires God working faith in the heart of a person to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it also takes God working faith in the heart of a person um, for repentance to happen. Also, notice here that Paul does not ask him to pay for his past sins. Nothing about that. There is no penance, just faith in Christ. And, and that's where it leads to our resting in Christ for our salvation. And so the simple answer is to believe in the Lord Jesus. Uh, but we see here, he also, he also, it also says they spoke the word of God to the jailer and to his household. Like a, like a farmer who generously sows seed, they are generously sowing the word of God every place God takes them. And so now I, I love how quickly we see the fruit of the Spirit in the life of this jailer. Uh, do you see how quickly this changes? Before this point of despair, before this moment of, of faith in his life, um, they had come in there beaten and he did nothing, nothing to, to care for their wounds. But now immediately he has compassion on them. He washes Paul and Silas' wounds from the beating that they have received earlier that day. Um, and then one of them baptizes the Philippian jailer. Uh, his hospitality continues as they all return to his house and he provides them with food. And, and finally, I, I love how this paragraph ends. Verse 34. He rejoices that he has believed in God. Um, so do the others in his home. They all rejoice that he has believed in God. Uh, this man who was about to commit suicide just a few hours earlier has been lifted from that pit of despair to a place of rejoicing in the Lord. And that's the power of the gospel. Oh, that, that we too, each of us, all of us, uh, might rejoice in the simple fact that we have believed in the Lord. Sometimes we take that for granted. You know, rejoice because that is a glorious gift of God. Okay, uh, we've got one more section. It's short. Uh, verse 35, follow along as I read. But it, when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. And so they came and apologized to them, and they took them out, and they asked them to leave the city. So they went out the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them, and they departed. And so, um, you see this. For whatever reason, the leaders of the city send word to set them free. Uh, presumably, they were still prisoners, even though they're now at the jailer's house. I don't know how many jailers today would be okay bringing prisoners home, but he did. Uh, I think I would most likely take that deal. Yeah, we can go free. I'm out. Let's go. Um, I want to go, you know. But Paul's not okay with this. And the reason is he is a Roman citizen. 
Roman citizens could not be punished without a trial first, and they had clearly violated that right of his. He, he realizes also in this moment that if he goes quietly, then, then the crowd who watched him get beat the day before, uh, we're going to be able to view Christians as, as these criminals, as, as some group that could be beaten publicly that had no rights and such. Um, and it's similar to the way, you know, you and I, we may be Christians, but uh, we might also be American citizens. And as American citizens, we have certain rights that come with that citizenship. Uh, the bottom line here, though, is that they want this public apology for the sake of the Christians who stay behind, the ones that live in that city, people like Lydia, the jailer, their households, that kind of thing. Uh, and after they come, they, the magistrates do apologize publicly, and then they ask them to leave. Uh, they visit Lydia, they encourage the other Christians, and then off they go. Okay, so that's the end of the text. Now, now I titled the sermon, The Crux, okay? Uh, usually sermon titles are just random, whatever. Uh, <clears throat> I think John used to do his songs of music or something like that, I think. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> I, I, I did this for two reasons. It's titled The Crux for two reasons, and, and they're tied together. The first is this. The crux is a term that means the vital or most basic point of, of any argument um, or any statement. That's what the jailer of this passage is asking about. He's asking, what is the vital or the most basic requirement so that I may have eternal salvation? So, so what they tell him then is, is the crux. Um, that is, believe in the Lord Jesus which is a simple, nuanced statement. You notice they didn't say just, just believe in Jesus. They, uh, you know, as if he were like every other man on the planet, they say believe in the Lord Jesus. The Lord, they make clear that our belief must include all that Jesus confessed himself to be, the Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God, uh, divine, you know. Uh, and, and so the crux of the issue is that we have faith in, in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, I said there were two reasons. The other reason I titled this the crux is, is that that's an old Latin word. Anyone know what that means? Cross, okay? Um, and so it's not just that we believe uh, in Jesus, but the reason that matters that we believe in Jesus uh, is the crux of the issue. Uh, sorry, the reason believing in Jesus is the crux of the issue is because all that Jesus accomplished on the cross. So uh, if you really want to get cheesy with phrases, you might say the crux is the crux of the issue. Okay, you can roll that around in your head later. Don't do that now. Uh, for now, I, I just want you to know, I, I mean really know, that believing in Jesus matters because on the cross our sins were sacrificed. They were paid. That was the purchase price of my forgiveness. That is the purchase price of your forgiveness. And so the resurrection that follows three days later confirms that the payment was accepted. You know, death was defeated in that moment. Sin was defeated in that moment. And eternal salvation was secured for all who believe in the Lord Jesus. And so, so here's the deal. The question that we're seeing in this text, we, we've all asked at some point, even if we're asking it way after, you know, knowing the answer to it. What must I do to be saved? And we see the answer. And another answer might be, well, well, nothing. Because you don't do anything. And we don't do anything because it was done for us on the cross. If we're in Christ, and the way that we are found in Christ is simple faith. And so I have absolute confidence looking anyone in the eyes and telling them, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Uh, brothers and sisters, could you give an answer to that question? I think more importantly, 
Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ yourself? And if, if that's the case, then rest in your glorious Savior. Rest in your Savior who calls you his because you are his, because he has purchased you. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you that your holy word is as deep as an ocean, so that in many lifetimes we could never fully discover all that lies beneath the surface. But God, we also thank you that your holy word is so simple that even the most beginner of us can understand the, the crux of the gospel. Thank you for the simplicity of, of the statement that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. It's so basic and, and, and yet impossible to do apart from a work of your spirit in us and so god work in our hearts if we need faith to believe and work in our hearts in the hearts of those around us so that we might see the glorious work of redemption in the, in the lives of others and god may we may we cease wrestling with your gospel and finally just rest in you uh, it's in jesus name we pray amen